How are you out there? Amen. Let's get our Bibles out. We are studying our way through the book of Ephesians. And uh, really, we are going to stop at chapter 4 because I did an extensive verse-by-verse study of chapters 5 and 6 just a little while ago. But tonight we are in chapter 4. And uh, I'm going to read you the first three verses. That's all we're going to get through tonight is three verses. Amen. Sometimes you get bogged down in a verse for a long time. So three verses should be uh, quite a bit to bite off for tonight. Amen. How's everybody doing out there? You praying for Ukraine? Paying attention to what's going on? Make sure you pray. Amen. You say, well, what can prayers do? There's tanks and rockets and airplanes. and Prayers change the atmosphere. Prayer helps to turn the tide. So it's important now that we don't look and get upset or get hopeless or be frustrated because there's a lot of things you could look at right now and be upset about. In fact, if you're not upset and you don't even care, I'm upset at you. We're going to fight right now. And uh, the body of Christ has to be praying for our brothers and sisters over there. A lot of you might not know there's a, there's a large evangelical population in Ukraine. There's a lot of Christians there. And uh, a pastor just posted, uh, you know, a call for prayer. And you could hear bombs exploding outside of the church. So it's as real as it gets. So make sure you pray. In fact, let's before we jump into the word, let's just say a prayer for Ukraine. Father, we lift our brothers and sisters up to you tonight, Lord, and we stand in the face of evil and aggression and all the death that is going on. Father, we we see the fingerprints of the enemy all over it. And so the word says, Lord, when the enemy raises up a standard, when he comes in like a flood, God, that you raise up a standard against him. So we lift up a standard tonight. We lift up prayers. We ask for the angels of God to intervene in the affairs of men. And Father, that you would protect the righteous from the wicked. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, I, it's Paul talking here, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, walk in a manner worthy. So have you heard that? Just a few verses. I want you to close your eyes and listen to it and let it just get into your spirit tonight. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, walk in a manner worthy. Powerful verses here in Ephesians tonight. Again, for the second time as we've studied through this, Paul refers to himself as the prisoner of the Lord. And it's a unique thing, and it's something that should provoke us to think about the implications of that. Why? Because we might see ourselves as servants of God, children of God, part of the family of God, but many of us don't see ourselves as prisoners of the Lord, amen? You and I were bought with a price. Let me try it on this side. You and I were bought with a price. The blood of Jesus paid for us, amen? 
Our lives are not our own now. See, the problem with some brands of Christianity is that we, are, we, we get into this thing where we're half converted. We accept Jesus because we don't want to go to hell, but we don't want to surrender our lives because we want to still live them. A person in that situation will be the most miserable of individuals. Why? Because you're half in the kingdom of God and half in the world, and that's a miserable way to live. There's only one way to serve Jesus, 110% sold out. 90% doesn't cut it. So Paul sees himself not as a servant or a worker. I'm an employee of the Lord. No, I'm 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 a leader in the body of Christ. I'm in charge. No, he sees himself as a prisoner, more than a servant, more than a disciple, a prisoner. Why? Because he he felt that his burden for the Gentiles, for the gospel, for for the church was so huge, he was chained to it. It consumed him. Does the gospel consume us today? Does our love for Jesus consume us today? Does the call that God has put on our lives consume us today? In Bible school, we used to say, the call above all. Sometimes when you get out of Bible school, you say, uh, you know, everything else but the call. And we see people scatter in so many different directions. But Paul didn't scatter. Paul didn't quit. Paul didn't quit his anointing, his calling. He put his hand to the plow and he forged forward to the point where he finished the race and finished the course, and they, they martyred him in Rome, and he saw himself as a prisoner of the Lord. Uh, prisoners, you know, when you think about that term there, I don't mean to belabor this point, but there's a lot here. Prisoners, there's a few things about them. They have no presumption of liberty to do as they please. Think about that when Paul's saying, I'm a prisoner. That means I don't just do what I want to do. The Apostle Paul here you know, a pillar in the church, author of two-thirds of the New Testament. He says, I'm a prisoner. I don't just take my own liberty. I don't just do what I want to do. Prisoners are on a regimented schedule. They do what they're told when they're told to do it. They submit to those in authority over them. In the natural, prison is punishment for those who wouldn't follow the rules and chose to be lawless. Prison is a punishment. In the spiritual realm, submitting to the rule of the Holy Spirit is not punishment. Come on, Wednesday night. I know it feels like punishment sometimes. Some of you look like you've been punished all week. But it's not punishment. Oh, Lord, this burden, this thing, I got to do this cross, I got to carry this anointing, I need to cultivate this this burden. It's not punishment to be a soldier of the Lord. It's not punishment to be in the fivefold ministries. Prison is, Paul says, I see myself as a prisoner, but not in the sense where it was punishment. It was an honor and a blessing for Paul, and it's an honor and a blessing for us. Someone say amen. What an honor to be called by God. What an honor to be used by God. What an honor to be gifted by God. Come on, that's all of you tonight. I'm not talking about me. They're like, Pastor, are you talking about yourself? No, I'm talking about all of you. Called by God, gifted by God, chosen by God, predestined by God to be sons and daughters. Woo! Prison, but not a punishment an honor to be used by God. 
At times, the plan of God may seem restrictive. We talked about it being punishment, and sometimes it feels like, oh, Lord, you know, this is so restrictive. And you say, you know, why does it feel like at times the call of God or the anointing of God or the will of God for my life seems restrictive, and I want to give you the wisdom for that? The answer is because it is. It is restrictive. Because we belong to him, we can't just do what we want, go where we want, say what we want. There were times in the, in the New Testament here as Paul's going through his missionary journeys that the Holy Spirit literally restricted or restrained him from going to certain places. Do you remember that? Acts 16, 6 through 7. Paul is literally restrained by the Holy Spirit from preaching and going to certain places during his missionary journeys. Listen to Acts 16, 6 through 7. They passed through Phrygia and the Galatian region after being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Say what? Paul's like, I'm on a roll here. I'm on, the, I'm on tour. I'm just, you know, we're, we're lighting it up everywhere we go. So I want to go and preach in Asia. And the Holy Spirit says, absolutely not. Don't go. That seems restrictive. Well, it is restrictive. And we need to look at this and say, that's why Paul saw himself as a prisoner, because he didn't just do his own thing. He was willing to be led by the Lord, led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, he said, I want to go preach the word in Asia, but the Holy Spirit restricted him. He said, after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Wow. Write that scripture down, Acts 16, 6 through 7. Read it. Meditate on it. Understand the leading of the Holy Spirit can be restrictive at times. Understand the will of God, the will of Jesus in our life can be restrictive at times. If we see ourselves as workers of God or, you know, employees of God or, you know, uh, position office holders of God, we might do what we want in certain situations. But the minute we see ourselves as servants, as disciples, and maybe even as prisoners, will allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. It's powerful tonight, amen? This will save some of us. You know, many times we walk right into the traps of the enemy. We walk right into dark places that snare us. We join ourselves to things and to people that cost us decades in our lives. So this Holy Spirit-led life is a restrictive life at times. None of the apostles did their own thing. Paul didn't. Not even Jesus did his own thing when he walked on the earth. John 5, 19, therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. Say what? First of all, Paul can't go preach wherever he wants. Jesus says, I can't even do anything of myself. I can't even just do my own thing. I'm not here to do my own thing. I'm not here to be served. Uh, I'm here to serve. He says, I can't do anything of myself uh, unless I see the father doing it for whatever the father does these things the son also does in the same way so understand that restriction and that submission to the will of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit is vital for Christian growth literally some of us have cost ourselves decades of time being connected to wrong things and wrong people because we did not allow the Holy Spirit to lead us now, I say that to hurt no one. I say that so that we would be careful and we would live carefully and not recklessly right now so we don't waste any more time. Someone say amen. The second half of verse 1 speaks to our conduct. 
It says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, what, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. The second half of verse 1 is speaking of conduct, that we would conduct ourselves in a way that was in line with the call of God on our lives. It's very important to understand that we've been bought with a price. That's the second time tonight I've said that. We've been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. He paid a debt for you and I that we could never pay. So, you know, and, and it's, it's almost hard to say it this way, but we owe him. We owe him. It's not like Jesus is going, oh, you know, just do what you want. You know, I understand. You know, I, I died and bled and rose. And, you know, I, I, I went into hell and liberated the captives and, you know, took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. But you just have a good time and do your thing. Just let that settle in a little bit. How ridiculous is that? I've been bought with a price. My conduct matters. How I behave matters. If I submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit, it matters. How I view my service to the Lord matters. All of these things matter. My conduct is important. Why? Because my conduct defines my Christian witness as well as help me to avoid the snares and the consequences of sin. See, bad character leads to bad conduct. Bad conduct leads us into the snares of sin, and it derails our destiny. What will change that is that if we will allow our conduct to fall in line with the calling of God on our lives. Amen. The text encourages us to pay attention to our spiritual walk. Did you notice that in there? It says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. There has to be spiritual motion in our lives. Amen. God is not saying sit down, hear the word, get fat, drink it all in, gain a bunch of knowledge, you know, just be fat, dumb, and happy and wait for me to come get you. No, we have, there's, there's a necessity for spiritual motion in our lives. We need to be doing something for the kingdom of God, amen? Just the fact that you're here on a Wednesday night means you're the right crowd to speak to tonight because you're doing something to increase your, uh, your uh, anointing, your connection to God, your relationship with Jesus. You're doing something on a Wednesday night here that a lot of people are unwilling to do. You're coming to church. You're worshiping the Lord. You're sitting under the word. You're allowing the Holy Spirit to just stimulate what he's put in you so that it bears fruit. So we, our conduct matters, but we're called to walk in a manner that's worthy of our calling. Understand the spiritual motion that takes place there. When someone in leadership, a pastor, a president, an ambassador, a police officer, a military officer, conducts themselves in an inappropriate way, it's easy to see the shame that's linked to such behavior. Why? Because they're in leadership and there's a ripple effect from their actions. I want to talk about this. We're talking about walking in a manner worthy of our calling. We're talking about conduct here tonight. You know, why is it that when a leader, a pastor, a president, a, a military officer does something inappropriate, it, it's so shameful? Because it's a lower standard than what's expected, and it's clearly an embarrassment to the office or to the position. Come on, follow me tonight. You see, when we act in certain ways as believers in Christ who've been washed in the blood of Jesus, who've been sanctified, set apart, called, and filled with the Holy Spirit, when we act in a way that's below what God has called us to be and to do and to say, it's an embarrassment to who we are. 
And this is all tucked in here for those who will look past the surface and dig in tonight. You know, we're talking about character. We're talking about spiritual motion. We're talking about our conduct. And all of it is important. The pastor who commits adultery, the police officer who gets caught selling drugs, the military officer exploiting soldiers of the opposite sex under his command. All of this is what's called conduct unbecoming. You know, and you see these things. You see pastors have moral failure. You see, you know, 90% of the cops are good cops, but you got that percentage of them that are, that are connected to the underworld that they're supposed to police. Look, and nobody is more disgusted with pastors who commit sin than pastors who maintain holiness. No one's more disgusted with police officers that break the law than the ones that keep the law. Are you getting this? It's conduct unbecoming. It doesn't fit with the office. It's out of order. It's not the walk that goes along with that office or that title or that privilege and position. Paul is encouraging us to walk in a manner that's worthy. And that's, that's important. You say, well, who defines that? God defines what's worthy. Amen. Not you and I. Well, this is what, you know, this is what I'm willing to do, or this is how, you know, how holy I'm willing to be, or this is the amount of sin I'm willing to, you know, allow in my life and have as a pet. Come on, Wednesday night. We do that, right? We give ourselves license. Well, I'm going to drive all that out, but I'm going to keep this one little thing. Come on, it's my little pet. My pet sin. Conduct unbecoming. Uh, not the right spiritual walk. Why? Because it's unworthy of the office. Uh, so Paul says, you know, I want you to walk in a manner that's worthy of your calling. How do we do that? The, part of it is by a decision of our will. Obviously, we need the Holy Spirit to live a holy life. Someone say amen. amen. You, you and I are always going to struggle with sin to some degree. Nobody's got it right. Nobody's doing it perfectly. Hello? So perfection is not even part of the equation, but, you know, we should strive to live in a way that is not an embarrassment to the kingdom of God. We shouldn't yield our members uh, to sin, but we should yield ourselves to God, amen? Paul talks about this in other places throughout the Pauline epistles. You and I need to walk worthy. The way we do that, uh, obviously by the Holy Spirit, obviously by the power of God, but we need to make a decision, a personal decision of our will to choose to rise to the moral, ethical, and spiritual level of our calling. That's our choice. Nobody can make it for you. Well, I have this office, I have this position, I have this title, but I'm going to give myself license to do X, Y, and Z. We see it all the time. We see it in the church, we see it in politics, we see it in leadership, wherever there's leadership. Some people just won't walk worthy of the office that they've been given. And in the spiritual sense, you know, nothing destroys the anointing quicker than walking in a matter that's unworthy, amen? When you and I are tight with God and we are right with God and we are walking in the Holy Spirit, I mean, it is just such an incredible lifestyle where it's like the enemy can't even touch us. And if he tries to, you know, the, the Spirit of God rises up and we find victory and then our faith is built stronger and what was to destroy us just made us stronger and we get a clearer picture of God. Come on tonight. So... There's a lot in here, and it's a decision of the will. It means us embracing restraint. 
You and I should embrace lives of restraint. We shouldn't see how close we could get to the edge without falling in the sin. Amen? Some of us are like, whoa, you know. But we should be way away from the line. I don't want to trip over what's behind the line, but, you know, we should be so far away from the line we can't see the line. Some people live on the line, live on the fence, half in the world, half in the kingdom. Hard way to live. Uh, there's always going to be great conflict there and no satisfaction, no power, no breakthroughs. Uh, it means embracing restraint, avoiding excesses. You and I need to avoid excesses. All things are lawful to us, but not all things are expedient, amen? <laughs> oh, this is why I leave my guns home. <laughs> avoid excess, embrace restraint. Avoid the a very appearance of evil, the Bible says. Wow. That's a tough one, right? Even if I'm not doing anything, but it doesn't look right, so don't do it. Oh, there's nothing going on. Well, you know, that's nice that you know that, but the way it looks is that there may be something going on. Come on, you know what I'm saying out there. Avoid the very appearance of evil. Now, I'm not trying to be legalistic with any of this stuff. I'm not trying to police anybody or ruin anybody's fun. I just don't want anybody to fall in the pit of sin and get snared. And the way we do this is to restrain ourselves, to avoid excesses. Th these are important things that we do. You know, we avoid the appearance of evil. We won't even consider doing it if it doesn't look right. And then we have to embrace personal holiness and we have to be transparent. Some people are, you know, <laughs> you ever around somebody that they're, they're just kind of a little bit mysterious? And by mysterious, I mean you're not quite sure, you know, something don't smell right, but you can't put your finger on it. Come on, right? They're just a little bit too slick, a little too slippery. You know, that's something that is erased when we're transparent, when we're holy. We're not a mystery. We're not an enigma. We, we can confess our own flaws and our faults and say that, you know, I struggle or I need help or I need accountability, amen? It's important stuff. Um, Holiness, transparency, to be a disciple and to embrace discipline in every part of our lives. Amen. Discipleship is required for Christian growth. Discipleship is what makes us members of the kingdom that produce fruit. But discipleship is impossible without discipline. I said the D word. I know I just said the D word in church. Discipline. How many love discipline? Not so much. Our culture is pretty undisciplined. Amen. There are some cultures that are pretty disciplined. I can name a few. I, I, I won't because I don't, you know, I don't even want to distract us from it. But, you know, our culture, our Western culture is pretty much, you know, if it feels good, do it. If it, if, you know, makes you happy, then it's, it's okay. That lack of discipline is permeated into every area of our society and in our churches as well. Um, and I could say a lot about that, but, you know, these are just the points. Walking worthy of our calling, holiness, transparency, discipline. Uh, it means embracing restraint, avoiding excess, and the very appearance of evil. When spiritual leaders or any kind of leader goes down in flames because of character defects, it brings shame to the organization, to the country, to the church, 
to the body of Christ. Why? Because, you know, it's conduct unbecoming, and, and everybody will agree it's not right. But also, when leaders go down in flames, especially in the body of Christ, it gives the enemies of a cross a legitimate gripe against the church. Understand when we bow the knee to sin, it allows those people who are critics and haters of the gospel and haters of the cross to point the finger and say, see, they're all a bunch of hypocrites. Now, a lot of times people say that and it's just a cop out because they say, oh, well, you're a hypocrite so they can remain in sin and don't have to address their own issues. But what happens when the world points the finger at the church and it's true? Ouch. This is where Jesus wants to work on us, Amen that we could be so close to him and so right with him and so submitted to him to see ourselves as prisoners, to walk uh, worthy of our calling, to produce spiritual fruit that nobody can argue with. Yeah, they're still going to criticize us. Yeah, they're still going to, you know, they're still going to come against us. Yes, but at least they can't find a fault in us that's legitimate. It doesn't gain traction. Verses 2 and 3, we had all of that fun in verse 1. It says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. There are five attributes here. Uh, and verse three is the fifth one there, diligence. We're going to talk about that. But verses two and three list five attributes seen in those who walk in a manner that's worthy of their calling. And these five attributes are pretty close to the fruits of the spirit that Paul lists in Galatians 5.22. So write down Galatians 5.22. Here's the fruits of the Spirit, but the fruits of the Spirit are apple, orange, banana. No, that's the wrong. That was the picture Bible. I messed it up. Okay, but the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. It's powerful, right? Now, when it says against such things there is no law what does that mean it means everybody can agree that these are good things no one's gonna you know read you the riot act or say you're a hypocrite because you're loving because you're peaceful because you're patient you know oh those christians i hate them they're just so loving and patient no there's no law against that nobody's gonna say that that's wrong and so these are the fruits of the spirit now the five attributes that are listed here uh they, they closely align with the fruits of the Spirit. But listen to them. The first one is this, humility. Look what it says there. With all humility and gentleness, with patience. So let's take a look at humility. Humility is the opposite of pride. When you're proud, it's a problem. Why? Because pride is an ugly thing. And all of us struggle with pride. There are none of us that are pride-free. You know, we can't say I'm free-range and pride-free. No, all of us have some pride to deal with. And the people who are shaking their head know you are the worst. I haven't been proud in years, and I'm proud of it. But, you know, pride is an ugly thing, and it's a turnoff and an offense to everyone except the person expressing the pride. You know, no one likes a proud person. Even my wife's back teaching the kids tonight. Even if I say something when I'm alone with my wife, just, you know, to be like cocky or just kidding around, she doesn't like it. She's like, ugh, that's pride. You know, she'll have to dress me down, tell me my clothes don't match or I look funny or my hair's messed up. Because pride is offensive. If you've ever been around a person, maybe, maybe a person in leadership that could express pride and you couldn't call them out on it if you wanted to stay employed. Has anyone ever been around somebody like that? Come on, just, you know... 
just someone who's just, oh, me, 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 I, 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 all about self, self, self. And you're just like, ugh, yearning for the dentist chair in a root canal rather than being with them because pride is ugly and it's offensive and it's something that, you know, we can spot in others real easily, but sometimes it's hard to spot in ourselves. Watching and listening to someone driven by unrestrained pride is disturbing and unsettling. If you've ever watched a speech by Adolf Hitler just before World War II started, and you see this man so full of pride, and the, uh, his words were almost like violence. What was that? It was unrestrained pride on display, and it was ugly, and it was scary, and it should have scared the world, but it didn't scare some of the world, and because of appeasement, we wound up into a real mess called War, World War II. So, you know, pride is ugly, unrestrained pride is scary. Pride is the sin that got Lucifer ejected from heaven. It's the only sin that'll get you kicked out of heaven, pride. Satan said, I, I want to be like God, and boom. Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning from the sky. Pride got Satan, Lucifer, ejected from heaven. Pride is guaranteed to bring the immediate resistance of God to your life. But wait a minute, Pastor. I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm one of God's favorites, you know? doesn't matter. The minute I get in pride, you get in pride, it will bring the resistance of God to our lives. James 4, 6-7 says he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen? If we act like the devil and move in pride, God will resist us. But if we submit ourselves to God and humble ourselves up, then the enemy will have to flee from us. Are you understanding how this works? Humility is the only antidote for pride, period. So humility is one of those attributes displayed in a person who walks worthy of their calling. Number two is gentleness. What does gentleness look like? Well, when we can exercise our spiritual authority, call out compromise, and confront sin in others and do it in a loving way, that's gentleness. Understand that? Some people, everybody says, well, you, you can't judge me or you can't tell me what to do. But if the Bible says it's a sin and I tell you you're, you're doing it, you need to quit it or it's going to ruin your soul, that's not, judgment, that's not being judgmental, that's being loving. Listen, church, seeing people in sin that will destroy their souls and wind them up in hell for eternity and not wanting to say anything to them about it because it might offend them or it's not politically correct is not loving. That person on the other side of life in hell would wish someone had the guts and the courage to take a chance to tell them, you got to stop this or it's going to destroy your soul. Oh, well, I don't want to offend anybody. Well, you would rather have them lose their soul than take a chance? Well, they won't be my friend anymore. They don't like you that much anyway. <laughs> tell them the truth. Do it in love. They might at least respect you. So gentleness is when we can exercise our spiritual authority. We can tell the truth in love. We can do it, and we do it all in, in a loving way to where, you know, it's, it's marked not by judgmentalism or not by self-righteousness, but gentleness. Nobody responds well to being pushed around, threatened, or bullied, especially by people in positions of authority or leadership. 
As a pastor, I don't threaten people. I don't bully people. Oh, yeah, he just gets his Bible out, and he bullies everybody with it. Well, if that's the way my ministry functions, then I really need to look at my heart because obviously love is not coming out. You're saying, well, we wish you'd take a look at that. <laughs> there have been times where, you know, as a young preacher and stuff, just frustrated with things or angry and upset, and I'd had close friends come to me and say to me, when you were preaching that, were you mad? You're like, why? Because uh, it came across like a little bit angry. Now it's quiet. You know, everything we do has to be marked by love. Do you ever get angry with people, frustrated with people who are stubborn in sin? So what do we do? We have to put that at the feet of Jesus, and we have to do what we do in love so it comes across as gentleness because nobody needs to be threatened or bullied into the kingdom of God. That just doesn't work. So gentleness is something that we need to establish. Nobody responds well to being driven or pushed or threatened. There's three things that sound cliche, but they're worth repeating, and I want to close this point on gentleness with this. It's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And we, we can contend for righteousness without becoming contentious. These are good things to remember. And they'll keep us in gentleness. And they'll keep what comes out of us flowing in love so that it produces fruit in others. Number three, patience. You say, well, I've had a lot of patience to get all the way here to number three without running out of the building. There's only two more after this. Patience. The believer who walks worthy of their calling is a person who's learned to, to be patient. What is that? What's the outworking of that? Well, they learn to wait on God and they learn to wait on others. Being patient means we learn first to wait on God. But it also means that we learn to wait on others. I want to talk about this a little bit tonight. Let's look at the part of waiting on God that gives us patience. Do you know getting ahead of God in life is what creates most of our drama and trouble and headaches? Oh, God told me, but, uh, you know, he didn't do anything, so I got out there and I tried to make it happen myself because, you know, God was busy, and I figured I'd be the assistant Holy Spirit, and I would just, you know, make a mess. Come on, those of us who have done this are getting it tonight. Some people are looking at me like, what? Yeah, see, we've got to be patient enough to wait on God. There's times where you're going to pray, and believe it or not, it's going to take a few minutes. I prayed three minutes ago and nothing happened. So I guess I got to do it myself. Man, that, that's a good way to make a mess. Some of us have been praying for things for decades. Some of us have been praying for people that are lost, that we love, that we want to see get saved for decades. You say, well, what should I do? Keep praying. When should I quit? Don't quit. Pray until, Amen. Pray as long as they have breath in their lungs, there's hope. But don't give up on God. Don't get ahead of God. Don't go make your own mess out there. No. See, if, if Abraham would have waited on God and had a little more patience, the, there wouldn't have been an Ishmael born. But Abraham got out there and did his own thing, said, I'm going to help God out. Mmm, what a mess. The implications of that mess 
are just incredible. If you study the descendants of Ishmael and who, who those people became, they have been a thorn in the side of Israel from their inception and to this day. Wow. So being patient means learning to wait on God. Uh, not having patience uh, on God and getting ahead of God makes trouble. Now, not having patience to wait for people who are weaker, slower, or, or more broken than us disqualifies us from being good leaders. All of us are leaders in some degree, whether it's in our home, in our community, in our office, you know, mothers and fathers, people in the church, the callings of God, what? All of us, uh, the, the vast majority of us function as leaders in some dimension. So understand something like this. As a leader, you're going to have people under your covering, under your care that God gives you to lead that are going to be weaker than you. They're going to be slower than you. They're going to be more broken than you. That's why God put you there to lead them. God, why did you give me all these broken, messed up, hurting people? Because if they had it more together than you, they wouldn't need you to lead them. You understand this? But a lot of people don't have patience to wait for someone who's hurt or broken or slow. Wow. It's important. Well, I got my act together. Why do I got to work with this riffraff here? We wouldn't say that out loud, but we feel like that sometimes. Sometimes the people around us are just hurt so deeply, and God puts them there so that we can love them and be patient with them. And, you know, they're weaker than us, and they make foolish decisions and foolish mistakes. They're slower than us. They don't catch on so quick, amen? There are some people that, man, they get snared once by the enemy, and they're never going back to that thing again, amen? Anybody ever been like that? Two people, praise God. The rest of us do it over and over again. Weaker, slower, why? Why does God, because God wants us to have patience for others, you know, and that's the thing. If you look at it, it says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, listen, bearing with one another in love. Did you hear that? Bearing, putting up with them. You know, we have to have patience with those who are a little bit, you know, behind us, a little bit slower, a little bit less wise, a little bit, you know, less anointed. And, and unless we have patience for people like that, we're never going to produce fruit in our lives, and we're never going to see God get them to the next level. You know, if you know anything about wolves, there's interesting dynamics that happen in a wolf pack. When a wolf pack travels, especially through cold weather, cold, frozen terrain, you know what they do? They put the hurt and the old wolves at the, at the beginning of the pack. Why? Because they let the weaker ones uh, set a pace that everybody can match. Think about that. I got to have these slow, weak, limping, old people moving. Oh, man, I want to move. I want to go. Let's go. Let's go. Beep, 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 beep. They put the old and the weak and the sick out front. Why? Because they set the pace. Now everybody can follow it. Where do the strong go? They go in the middle of the pack and the rear of the pack. Why? To provide oversight and security. Get this today. Are you strong in the Lord? Are you full of faith? Are you producing fruit in your life? God's going to bring some people around you who are not quite where you are, and you're going to have to have patience with them to minister to them in love to bring them to the next level. Amen? Well, i got two more. Let's talk about love. 
says, with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, there's another component in here, just like you have patience with the weaker. Uh, there's a bearing that happens in love. Love is obviously an attribute that we need in our lives. Please say amen. Okay, 1 John 4, 7, and 8. Beloved, let, let's love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. So how many would agree we need love in our lives? If we're Christians, we've got to be loving. Now, I'm not saying we don't get frustrated. I'm not saying we don't get, you know, aggravated. I'm not saying we don't get snappy with people once in a while. We're human. But the, the, the mark of our life should be love, amen? And Love is something that takes a lifetime to uh, develop in our lives. You know, we know the Greek words for love. We got that phileo love. We got the eros love. Uh, we, we got the agape love. The, the phileo is like a paternal brotherly love. The eros love is in the sexual dynamic. And then you got that agape love, which is the love of God. And what we need to be developing in our lives uh, at the leading and at the instruction of the Holy Spirit is that agape love. Amen to be loving like God is loving. I understand that's a tall order, but it's something that, you know, if we're going to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, we need to cultivate love in our lives. Can I just say something? I'm, you know, I've been, I've been young and I'm getting older, and I've noticed something. When you get older, sometimes you got less patience. You got less love. You don't want to put up with stuff anymore. Anybody, anybody over 20 want to help me out? You know, I had so much patience. When I, when I was a young man, you should have met me back then. I could put up with so much folly. I literally counseled pe people for the same issue for years. I remember this one, it was a couple, just for, I think for seven years I counseled them on the same issue. I would have thrown them out of my office now in seven sessions. Woo! <laughs> Just telling the truth. I'm not the patience like I did. I noticed, you know, and, you know, still got a tender heart, still loving, but sometimes, you know, get frustrated, get angry quicker. You know, what is that? That's just, you know, as you, as you get older, sometimes you get a little worn out emotionally. Sometimes, you know, everything's harder. Your body hurts. You're moving slower. I'm, look, I'm not complaining. I'm just being real with you. What, you get, yeah, you got to work smarter. Sometimes you got to have other people work for you. But, uh, you, you know, in the natural that's the way it goes. Sometimes people get older, they get crotchety, they get blah, blah, blah. But look, in the spiritual realm, you and I should be increasing in love. We should be increasing in love, getting more patient with people, more loving with people, uh, more willing to lay down our lives for others, more willing to hang out at the back of the pack and let the weak and the sick and the hurting find their way and just kind of coach them. At some point, it's got to stop being about us. And it's got to be about the others and the next generation coming up. Amen? Amen. And we got, we got a whole bunch of young people in youth group back there tonight. You know what? They're going to be carrying the baton when we're long gone. Oh, that rhymed. Praise God. That was the Holy Ghost. But we need to be thinking about who we're passing the baton to. 
It would be bad to run the race and all of a sudden, you know, clink. There's nobody there to pick it up. Well, it's the Lord's job. It's the Holy Spirit's job. It's part of our job too. So we've got to be loving. And we get, look at it, it says, bear with one another. That same thing with having patience for the weak and the hurting and the sick. We've got to bear with one another in love. Why? Because some people are harder to love than others. Some people are unbearable. We used to call them in ministry EGRs, extra grace required. Oof, that guy. And, <laughs> well, they're not very nice, and they're not very submissive, and they're not very respectful, so I'm, gonna, you know, I'm not going to love them. Is, is that how Jesus treated us? Well, we were yet sinners. He died for us. So this bearing with one another means loving people that are a little difficult to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, we've got to love God. We've got to allow the love of God to be developed in our lives, even with people who are prickly, who are stubborn, and who are difficult. When you and I can love people like that, everyone else becomes a pleasure. Amen. So I close with this diligence in verse 3. It says, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So verse 3 highlights three areas where those who walk worthy of their calling apply diligence. Look what it says here. Diligence in keeping spiritual unity. Diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit. Do you get that? So there's, a, there's something in us where we have to be careful and diligent and mindful of the fact that our behavior, our attitude, our actions, and even the way we serve the Lord uh, is going to have an impact on the unity that God wants to have in the church. And we need to be diligent in keeping the unity. Um, look what it says here. Diligent in keeping uh, the unity of the Spirit, what? In the bond of peace. So there needs to be diligence in preserving the peace. You know, disturbing the peace is still a crime. Breach of peace, you can still get arrested for that. Did you know that? No? Go outside and scream on the corner over there for a while and maybe take some of your clothes off and run around and you'll see. <laughs> Tell them Pastor Rick sent you. <laughs> Breach of peace, disturbing the peace. You can still be arrested for that. There are some people, who, Christians who go to churches that should be arrested for breaching the peace in church. They're troublemakers. They're backbiters. They're gossipers. Nobody here on Wednesday night, I'm talking about the ones that didn't show up. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about? You, you, have you gone to places like that? And thank God, you know, we got a little of that. I'm not being naive, but we, it's, not, it's not the mark of our church. But there are some places we have clicks and backbiting and this group and that group. And, did you hear what they said? And, blah, 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 and gossip. Ooh, what does that do? Destroys the, the peace that should be in the church. And we need to be diligent to guard our attitudes in our mouths and, and make sure we're not gossipers and make sure that we're not attacking leadership behind its back. And, you know, we got to be careful and diligent to preserve the peace in the church. You know, there are some people who have been so hurt and abused by people in churches that they don't want to come to church because it creates so much anxiety for them. 
I talk to people that are not attending any church now. Well, I went here and they did this to me and I went there and that happened to me. And some of it is immature and some of it is petty and some of it was their fault, but still there's a, there's a hurt there. And I think if we'd be diligent, if we'd be mindful to be diligent to preserve the peace in the body of Christ and to just overlook certain things and not be so picky and judgmental and, and, and to close our mouths will maintain that peace that allows people to come in and enjoy the presence of the Lord. Amen. The last area where we express diligence here is this, diligence in living a holy life. Look what it says. It's the second time it says this, walk in a manner worthy. First, he says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. You know, the outworking of that we unpack. But it also says, just walk in a manner worthy. What does that mean? Be diligent to live a holy life. When you and I are right with God and we're holy and we're developing the fruits of the Spirit, that, that is contagious to the body of Christ. You know, young Christians, when they get around a seasoned saint who's holy, man, that inspires them to get closer to Jesus so that they can have some personal holiness take place in their own lives. Come on, I'm talking about holiness. Some of you are looking at me like you've never been there. Holiness, amen, avoiding sin, refusing uh, to be reckless, or f- refusing uh, sexual sin, refusing gossip, refusing to, to bow the knee to Baal and to worship the idols of our culture. And I'm preaching tonight. When we do that, when we're diligent to do that, that we don't say, ah, you know, if I do it, God will forgive me. No one will ever know. No, it has a ripple effect throughout the body of Christ. Nobody knows. Well, there's still, there's still an effect of sin. It affects our worship. It affects the anointing. It affects the, how the word goes forth. It affects the amount of leverage the enemy can have in the church. I know this is high-level stuff, but hey, you're the Wednesday night meteors club. So diligence, diligence in keeping, you know, Spiritual unity, diligence in preserving the bond of peace. Don't disturb the peace in God's house. Diligence in living a holy life. And that closes down our three verses tonight in Ephesians with those five attributes of someone who walks worthy of their calling. Humility, gentleness, patience, love, and diligence. A lot like the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you tonight for your word. It challenges us. It stretches us. It provokes us to godliness. Father, I pray that wherever the shoe fits in this sermon, we would, we would wear it. Father, wherever we need a tune-up or a workout or a recalibration of our, our, our thought life, our mentality, Holy Spirit, we give you permission to do that in us. Help us to drive pride out and to be humble, to to be loving and gentle in the way we treat others, in the way we present the gospel, to have patience and to wait for you and to wait for others. Lord God, help us uh, to be the type of people who are loving in all circumstances, even with people who are difficult. Father, help us to love those who are unlovable because you loved us when we were unlovable. And you died for us while we were yet sinners. Help us to be diligent where we need to be diligent. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.